Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. I'm Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003, bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now in our most recent venture, this saltwater podcast series and in this saltwater podcast series what we do is we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the north carolina coast asking them to share their insights their knowledge with our viewers with our listeners with the hopes that you end up catching more fish more often but truthfully told it's not just about more fish more often i think our also i think another one of our goals is just to give you more confidence get you focused more confidence to get out on the water because we want you to spend more time with more family, more friends on the water, not just more fish. Um, I'm joined, as I am every week, by Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. What's going on, Gary? Hello again, Good Billy. to see you, man. Hey, let me tell you about this episode. All right, let's go. We're going to talk shallow water redfish, and we're going to talk about light tackle and fly. I know you have, I'm a, in. I'm I know in. You have a soft spot in your heart yes. for fly. yes. And we're going to be talking to a relatively new guy to the scene, young, and he's doing great stuff up in Topsail. I'm talking about Captain Ethan Bilderback, and that's right. Stellar Angler Guide Service out of Topsail. And so we're going to talk about, among other things, searching for fish, and then we're going to talk about stalking fish. We're going to talk about hunting fish. I'm stoked, man. That fly fishing gets me going. Yeah, I know it would, man. I yeah, knew you'd be good. excited about this episode, and I think he's going to be sharing Thanks lots of good information. Thanks for booking the show for me, Gary. I did. I did this Looking for you. Looking out for me, man. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas. That's some happy Halloween or something. Oh, that, that was already, it passed already. Yeah. Anyway, all right, I'm going to tell you how to watch, how to listen. If you're doing one or the other, then you probably know. Uh, but here is a list of places you can find our podcast, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and uh, Google Play Music. And also, I could add it on there, but um, Amazon. We're now on Amazon uh, podcast as well, so Amazon's in the game of everything, Gary. So okay. yeah, man. But everybody's making it possible. I mean, not everybody. <laughs> I don't know why I said everybody. Marine Warehouse is making it possible, which Love we really those appreciate guys. those guys. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, the marketing person's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Just another shout out to Lil. Just so she knows she's loved. You know, we Whatever. want her to feel loved. Yeah. You know, we talk. I talk about. The owners, I talk about Emmett, I talk about Ter Terrell, but we want to give Lil her plug. But really, from top to bottom, yep. and they got a great crew there, you know, whether it's answering the phones, doing the books, or working Absolutely. on the engines in the back. And they got a great video. I'm going to show it to you right now. Please. As you know, it's been a great year for boat sales. However, it's been really tough for customers to find boats in stock. We're the headquarters in Wilmington, North Carolina, for Pair Customs, Sailfish, Sea Chaser, and Carolina Skiff. Our manufacturers are telling us the high demand for boats is going to affect 2021 inventory as well. So if you're looking to get a boat in the spring, you need to come sign up with us now. Excellent. I think I think that was uh, um, Emmett playing the banjo in that song. It might be. <laughs> it might be. You know... I've been spending a fair amount of time with Terrell. <laughs> How did I, think, I see this coming? I think too much time. That guy's calling me all the time. I can't keep doing it. I mean, I don't know what he does. I don't know why he has so much free time, but I'm going to have to cool. 
I'm feeling like I might have to cool my relationship. It's However, like- I am having a good time, and he's quite a host. <laughs> Most recently, man, he was making us Shirley Temples, and he was we didn't even need a snack. He was loading them up with maraschino cherries. Man, that guy is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> He told me a fish joke. I'm excited to hear it. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm not sure you are, but I'm going to tell you anyway. All right. So this is Terrell's joke. Again, these are not my jokes. There was a massive fight today at the seafood restaurant, Terrell told me. A fish got battered. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. That's really? Pretty really? Good. I mean, it's funny. Like, whatever. Maybe I'm just an easy crowd here. I don't know. Oh, Terrell. Oh. Terrell should quit that job over there at Marine Warehouse, sell his part of it, and go stand do stand-up. Up. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Just go do stand-up. He's good. It's great. Those four or five jokes you shared so far definitely get somebody going. Billy, this is when I say save me and show (laughs) us a fish photo. All right. Let's see if I can find a fish photo here. All right. Here we go. Jennifer and and Joe Bryan of Wilmington, North Carolina, with a red drum caught on live mullet while fishing out of Moorhead City. Good-looking drum. Good-looking shirt on that dude. Better-looking shirt. Yeah, I didn't even see that. That's funny. I wonder how. Uh, I wonder if that had anything to do with him being featured on this episode. You mean the SPF shirts that are available online? <laughs> no. <laughs> Fishermanshows.com, nineteen ninety nine or whatever. <laughs> um, oh man. No, good fit. He's a fan. He's a fan of the fishing schools. He's a fan of the podcast. He sent in that photo, and we're happy to yeah. give him some. Give him a moment. We're happy to. Absolutely. And, and so, before I transition and introduce Ethan, we get to meet Ethan. A reminder about Billy's best takeaway. At the end of this episode, at the end of this podcast, I'm coming to you, and I'm going to ask you, Billy, of everything that Ethan shared with us, what is your best takeaway? Yeah, arguably the most important segment of the entire show. Arguably. Arguably. Because you can argue anything. Because I can argue. Yeah, right. All right. (laughs) Now I transition. I'm going to introduce to you Captain Ethan Bilderback of Stellar Angler Guide Service out of the Topsail area. Welcome to the show, Ethan. A pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, man, looking forward to this. I mean, I know people love redfish and and shallow water redfish. It's been a direction I've been going in. I mean, I love watching that fish run around and not just go deep and then you know come up by the boat. So I'm already a fan. When we're talking light tackle and fly, that's another angle. So I love the concept, shallow water redfish, light tackle and fly, talking about searching for fish, talking about stalking fish. However, before we get to the main event, before we hear what you have to say about shallow water redfish, my audience wants to know. You've got two questions for you. The first question, very predictable. Why should people continue to watch, continue to listen? Why should they care what you have to say about a redfish? I fish for these fish every single day. I target these fish on light tackle, artificial, um, and it's one of those fish that I have begun to love. You know, I, I started fishing for them here when I first got to North Carolina. My first one was 28 inches, and after that, I was hooked. Um, so, uh, you know, this is what I'm known for. This is what I'm really good at. Um, and that, that's pretty much it. It pretty much sums it up. That passes. That's a passable answer. We will continue with the podcast, Ethan. <laughs> So now the second question is a non-fishing related question. I got to say, I didn't do much. I didn't do have much luck looking up a question that related to Stellar. The closest I could get was Stella. So I got basically two questions because you are younger than me. So the first question has to do with Stella. 
Do you know what movie or what actor yelled the word Stella out loud and what movie or what actor did? Famous movie, famous actor. Famous movie, favorite actor. Is it an old movie? Yes. Stella. Marlon Brando. Stella. A streetcar named Desire. All right, but I got another Stella question because I knew that was dated. I knew I was talking to a younger captain that was questioning. Here's here's my second Stella question, all right? The beer. The beer, Stella Artois, is a beer from what country? Stella is from... Actually, I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't either unless I Googled it yesterday, which I did, and it's Belgium. So don't, it's Belgium? You know, it's Belgium. Well, thank you for that new knowledge. How about that, man? You know, it's a favor from me to you. Now your turn on the knowledge. <laughs> Let's talk. So, again, what we've set up is a, a little bit of a guide here talking about searching for redfish in shallow water first. And then we're going to, we're not seeing them, we're, we're looking for the fish. And then after that, I believe what you're going to do is transition into more stalking hunting fish once we've located them. So let's start the conversation with searching for fish in shallow water. So I guess maybe first just tell me about the kind of environment we're talking about where these redfish would be in shallow water. Okay. So when I'm targeting these fish, or I'm trying to find these fish, um, it kind of depends on the time of the year. Summertime, I'm fishing bigger bays um, where there's a bunch of feeder creeks coming into bays. Um, and then wintertime, I'm finding these fish like in creeks, deeper creeks. Um, but when I am out on the flats trying to find these fish, I'm throwing topwater plugs um, at a falling tide or a rising tide around areas where there is water coming in and out. Um, and what these fish will do is they will, um, at the lowest tide, um, they'll come off the bank, but as the tide rises, that bait is trying to get up to those banks into those little feeder creeks. And those, those redfish are trying to push up there and eat that bait. They're trying to get right on that shoreline there. So what I'm doing at different times, um, I, I utilize topwater plugs a lot in the shallow water. Most people say that you can't throw top water all day, but if you're in a foot of water um, and that fish is floating, you know, right there under that lure, that fish is looking at that lure going by and they're going to hear that click, 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 click and pop on that. Um, you know, midsummer when it gets real hot outside, um, you know, those fish are a little bit slower. You kind of have to get them, you know, right off the bat or put it right in front of them. Um, cause our water temps here do get really warm during the summer, but, um, I'm, I'm kind of veering off this question, but I am looking for those bays where those creeks funnel in and out of water. Current flow is good. Um, edges of islands where, you know, these fish could get behind an ambush bait as it flows in and out. Those fish are going to be all in there. Um, and you're looking for shrimp busting, mullet. Those fish will show themselves on the banks at, at lower tides. So you, when you're talking about shallow water, what's your vision there? Like one to three feet, one to four feet? What would be your definition of shallow water red fishing? Shallow water is anywhere between six inches and 18 inches for me. Um, that, that's the depth that I like to target them in. 
a lot of them um, will be at that depth and pushing the boat that I run is the HPX tunnel hull. Um, so that boat allows me to get very shallow and the shallow is I can get is where I'll find those fish. Um, I'll even find those fish crawling with their eyes out of the water, back out of the water. Um, and they're up there trying to find food. So anything in that real shallow range, and, and I will fish bays that go from one to three feet too, but my favorite area to find them is, is in that really shallow water. And so you're, did I hear you in the answer to the first question you like, as long as tide is moving, it doesn't matter to you whether it's incoming or outcoming, but you like some movement? I do like tidal movement. Um, I like to fish a rising. So there, so on a falling tide, you know, you, you can get out in those flats and fish around those creeks that are funneling into bays and all that bait's coming out of those creeks and entering that bay. And those fish should be right on that, um, right on those, uh, on those points as this bait comes out. Um, and then on a rising tide, I like to take a lot of my fly guys on rising tides from pretty much dead low to a rise. We got fresh water coming in, clean water coming in. Um, and then all those fish start to push up and get further and further um, towards those shorelines. And that's where they'll be. Um, so I, I like current flow. I, I never find fish where there's stagnant water or, or water not really moving. Um, wherever there's that, that, tidal change you know you find fish well let's talk about i know you do spinning and fly let's let's focus on the spin part first so if i'm coming in if i'm coming in with you you're coming into a bay you know pretty big broad area shallow water like how do you how do you scout out your search process like so what are you what are you doing first what are you looking for and then how are you applying you know that technique um so if I'm pre-fishing before my clients step on the boat, um, I'm going out there and I, I use Google maps a lot, wherever I'm seeing big bays where, you know, there's structure, oyster beds, um, little creeks. I'm going to go in there, um, through these summer months and throw topwater plugs and see if they're in there, you know, early in the morning, you will get a strike on a topwater redfish really love that topwater plug. And most of my clients, um, I put top waters in their hands first thing. We don't really throw anything else early in the morning. It's it's strictly top water. Um, Midsummer we're usually done by eight or nine o'clock, and then through these fall months when that water temp is you know in that seventy range, low seventy, high sixty, um, those fish are active all day, especially over mud flats. They'll get up on there, and th those fish are happy. They're up there sunbathing. They're ready to eat. They see that top water come by and a foot of water, and they're just ready to pounce on it. And you're focusing on like that early morning when you put a top water in my hand. What what's the instruction like? Cast towards the shoreline, cast towards points. Like where are we? Yeah, you know, say we're going along a bay, and there's multiple points that come out, um, and I'm on the polling platform polling you. If there's a feeder creek, we're gonna hit the right side, left side of that creek most of the time there's usually a fish sitting right in the middle of that creek and as that bait's coming in and out there's gonna be a fish there um if we're coming around a point we're gonna fish um, past the point and then bring it back towards the point um 
towards the bow of the boat and uh, try to get a fish to pounce on in an ambush area. Um, wherever there's points, you, you want to cast around them. Um, and then a lot of the time you'll see bait getting nervous. You'll see bait on top, bait swimming real fast, bait jumping, fish hitting bait. If there's fish hitting bait, you know, we're casting right in there. We may stop for a second. I may hold you in that spot and let you cast a few times. Um, and then when we're casting that top water plug, we're working in 10 yard increments. Those fish can hear that plug 10 yards away. So wherever you're casting, I never want my clients to cast in the same spot over again. Um, unless we're sitting on a pile of fish, you know, if we're working in an area, that top water plug is moving 10 yards at a time up the bank. Um, and that's, that's pretty much how we work it. Is the, uh, ideal angle like cast to the bank and then pull it back to the boat? Or are you trying to position yeah, we the boat work, so I'm casting down the shoreline? We want to work right at that bank. So if I have you and you know, our nine o'clock is the bank here then we're gonna cast directly across and then up to our 12. So in between nine and 12, the bow is the 12, nine's directly across from the boat. We're working that angle. We're never working behind the boat. We're always working, you know, nine and above. And so that's searching for fish. Now I'm, I'm just gonna imagine that a fair amount of our audience, you know, focuses more effort at fishing in the summertime. And so if it's after, if it is the summer months and it's after eight, nine o'clock, then what do you put in my hand to sort of search for fish? Um, we do, we utilize gold spoons a lot. Gold spoons work really well. Um, and then I like to use jerk shads as well. Um, and you know, I, I go out there and I find the fish and if there's a school sitting in an area, we'll pull up on them, put the power pole down and then we'll work some jerk shads in there. If they don't like that, try gold spoons, something a little flashier. And if they don't like that, then, um, the old pop and cork works pretty good. You know, if we're having a slow day, um, pulling out one of those popping corks rigged up with a gulp shrimp under it, um, usually does the job. And especially when you're going through big bays, you know, if you have to go out there and cover a bunch of water, um, utilizing that popping cork is great. You know, it's calling those fish in, it's loud. There's something stinky on the bottom of it. And, uh, those fish will eat that. Um, so mm. all my tougher days, it's something that I really like to use. So what about the 10 yard rule? That's not making as much noise as the topwater clacking around. Is it, you still sort of have the same kind of fan cast 10 yard approach? Yeah. Now I, I, you never want to work in the same spot over and over again, unless you know that there's fish sitting there. Um, and then, through the summer months with those popping corks, you know, you can work those, um, you, you can do the same thing with a top water with that. You know, you can throw that 10 yards at a time. It's loud, it's clicking. Um, and, uh, but gold spoon wise, yeah, every, everything I like to, I never like to cast in the same spot. Kind of keep working. You got to keep working around. Um, as long as, you know, there's, there's not fish holding in one particular spot, then we're pulling down a flat and you're, you're fan casting all the way up, um, up and down that bank, never in the same spot there. So we're talking, we're, I'm thinking we're still talking about searching for fish. So now if I am a fly client on your boat, how does searching for redfish when we haven't seen any yet, how does that change? 
Um, searching wise, I'll usually find those fish. Um, I'll know where they get staged up. They will be in an area that I've pre-fished before. Um, and then when we're working that, when we're working with fly clients, you know, our approach is stealthy. We're in there, we're hunting for those fish. We're very quiet. We're moving at a slow pace. I'm on the polling platform. I have you elevated on the bow and we are searching and looking for those fish. Um, and at that time, I like to fish low tides, a low incoming tide is usually always good. Um, it brings in that cleaner water, you know, fresh water is good. Um, we can see a little bit better in it. When you get to the bottom of a falling tide, it usually gets muddy or murky. Um, so on that rising tide, we're in there, we're pulling around, we're going right up the banks. We're hugging as close as we can to those banks. Those fish will be up on them. Um, and, uh, I'm just pulling you very slow. And as we approach that fish, we're taking shots. A lot of those shots are within, um, 10 to 15 yards, maybe even closer, depending on the day and the wind. But, um, a lot of that is just, you're seeing that fish, we're getting on top of them and you're taking your shots. So I'm not blind cat. If I'm fly fishing with you, I'm not doing too much blind cast and we're basically going to move around until we have visual confirmation yes and we'll do that also with light tackle too um for all my light tackle guys that like to sight cast as well i put on a jerk shad and you know we're not blind casting at all if we're out there and we're our goal is to sight cast fish then we're going to go out there we're going to see that fish and pitch that bait to that fish or fly to that fish so Pulling has got to be an improvement over the trolling motor, but as you know, most of my guys are not going to have a friend to pull them, or my guy's not going to pull their friend. Is the trolling motor a deal breaker? It's not a deal breaker. Um, when you're in a little deeper stuff, the stuff that I like to target is is shallow, um, and they can hear that trolling motor coming in and buzzing. Um, but again, that's, that's for me and my clients or my guests that step on the boat that want to see that fish, make a cast at that fish and catch that fish. Um, you know, if you're, if you don't have access to a polling platform or someone to pull you or even a flats boat, you know, you, you can work those trolling motors and do the same thing that we were talking about with our top water, with our spoons, um, and going through those bays or creeks. Um, but a, a thing that I've read, I read this a long time ago, I think it was in the, in Florida sportsman. And it said, whenever you're working in shallow water, um, you know, that's that one to three foot range. You don't want to keep changing your trolling motor speed. The more you change your speed, the quicker the fish will catch on to it or, or realize something's up. But if you keep it at a steady pace, then um it's you're less likely to spook fish i follow that i guess it just becomes background noise if it's monotonous and steady and yep. it's the change that would key them in yeah all right i mean i wasn't crazy about florida sportsman being mentioned on my podcast but i'm kidding i mean i'm kidding you know florida that was a good tip all right so i know we're talking about stalking next we've already kind of touched on a little bit but i what I like to do is just say, hey, man, what what have anything else on searching for redfish that you'd like to share with everyone that I didn't really like set you up with a question to tell everyone? 
No, I think that's pretty good, man. Uh, unless you, you, if you think we need more, um, then then we can talk about it a little bit more. But I kind of touched on it pretty good. I feel. Okay, man. So let's go to stalking fish because I like how you s- decided to set this show up. You know, I, I like you know the we're going to talk about search and then we're going to talk about stalking. So now. I guess I'm just going to cut it loose to you, man. You've got it. I think we talk about spinning first and then fly second, just like we did in the first segment. Talk to me. Give me your thoughts about stalking redfish when you got a spinning client on the boat. Um, when we're out there stalking, it's pretty similar to fly. Um, we're, we're out there. We're working really slow through shallow water. Um, <clears throat> we are working through bays um, that have clean water. Um, you know, over sand is typically good. Um, there are some muddy bottom flats that are good too. Um, but when we move into those flats, we're working slow right up the bank. We're working as slow as we can. Um, and on that rising tide, that's why I really like to fish a rising tide. Because if you can get that tide behind you and you slide into a bay um, and you have that tide coming in behind you, you can basically float through that whole flat. Um, without making too much disturbance in the water. You know, as soon as the push-pull hits an oyster rock, you know, it's going to cause a little bit of uh, commotion or, you know, kind of give away that you are in that bay. Or if your trolling motor is going and you hit an oyster rock or, you know, you hit something, you know, that that sound is going to travel through shallow water. So is noise an absolute deal-breaker? I mean, I'm, I'm... I'm guessing you want as stealth as possible, but if we make some inadvertent noise, should we might as well move on, like jigs up? No, you don't have to. Um, if you if something happens, like somebody closes a hatch real loud because it has happened on my boat, we'll be in shallow water and somebody needs a drink, open the hatch and slam it, and we're sitting in a foot of water. And uh, for a minute, I just sit there. I'll just sit, let everything resettle and then move on um, and keep working. It's not going to be an absolute deal breaker. A lot of those fish that are going to be in those areas are staged up in those areas for a reason. There's bait in there. They're happy in there. They feel comfortable in there and they're protected. Um, So it's not an absolute deal breaker, but just slow back down, reset, get a drink of water, eat something real quick, and then, you know, get back to it. Most of the, when you spot these red drum, you're stalking them, you spot them. Are they on the move or are they just holding fast to some spot? Um, a lot of them are just, are, are just floating through the, through the shallows. Um, you know, they're, they're waiting for bait um, to come in and out. They're happy in there. They're, they're, they'll just be floating in there. A lot of them sit on the, on the banks and sunbathe, especially through these fall months. Um, you'll see a lot of them sitting on the sunny side banks, um, and they're just sitting there warming up. They're not doing too much. If they're hungry, you're going to see them eat, you know, at that water depth, um, or wake. You'll see them waking across. Um, and then from there, uh, you just make your cast at them. All right. So I got a couple of follow-up questions. If we're working down the bank and we spot a redfish holding on the sunny side or holding on a point, and that fish is roughly, you know, straight up ahead on the bank that we're moving that we're moving down slowly. 
how are you going to position the boat? How are you instructing me to cast when that fish is, you know, at 12 o'clock up ahead on the same bank we're working down? So we're going to get in a good um, distance to make the shot. I don't want to have you make a far shot and miss three or four times. I want you to be precise with your cast and, you know, hit them the first or second cast. So I'm going to get you, you know, within 10 to 15 yards of that fish. If we can slide on them even closer, then we will. Um, and then what we're going to do, we're going to be pretty aggressive with our shots. Um, we're using Z-mans um, that don't make a lot of, that don't slap real hard when they hit the water. They're not real heavy baits. We're using a weedless, um, eighth ounce weedless rig with a soft plastic on the back of it or a very light fly. Um, and what we're going to do, we're going to be aggressive. We're going to put it in front of him um, or pat. So if the fish is in front of us, um, what I always tell my clients to do is cast past them and then you want to reel it up to him. And then as soon as that fish sees it, they're going to turn on it and eat it um, more than most likely. Uh, but there are some days where it's a little bit tougher, but we want to come across his face. We don't want to put it on his back and reel it up to him. And then, uh, if you cast on top of him or past him and your lines on the back of him, he hasn't spooked. It's just going to, just going to let it sit for a second. Keep your rod tip high. We don't want that line to touch him. Let him move a little bit, reel your line up, and then we're going to take another shot at him. Um, but we want to be in front of him and bring it across his face. Um, or in the direction that he's feeding. Um, but we're not going to be very abrupt with any of our twitches, any of our strips, any of our jerks. It's just very subtle. You know, it's just a light tap, a light, just to show the presence that there is bait around and most likely they will get on it. Okay, so that, that was where I was going with my question. Like if I'm bringing it across its face, you know, a little bit off, Am I making sure I maintain a steady retrieve, a steady movement, or will I just let it sit in front of him for a while? You'll just let it sit until he sees it. Um, and those Z-mans are great, too, because they are scented. Um, so usually they get a little whiff of it, and they're like, oh, okay, that, that smells good. I'm going to chase that. And then, and then he's going to bring it right by him. Um, and with my fly clients, I always tell my fly clients, be pretty aggressive. Um, we're going to take those shots. Um, and if you land in front of him and he's working that direction, we may just let that lure or that fly sit there until he gets close enough to start working our baits. Um, but I, I never be real for, never be real forceful with them. Don't land on them. Try not to land on them. It happens. Uh, it happens to everybody. Um, and, and that's kind of the approach right there. So let me uh, let me go to a couple of gear questions. First on spinning, man, you talked about Z-Man, you talked about one eighth, and you know uh, the what we're hooking it to. What about fluoro? What about leader? How long and what what le what length and what size? Um, summertime, you know, I'm using fluoro that's 20 pound, um, and it's about like 18 inches long, um, and, and that's pretty good. And then. You know, when our water gets real clear here in the fall, starting now until, you know, March, we're going to see some very clean water. You know, I may even go down to 10, 12, 15, um, depending on the water clarity and how spooky those fish are. 
Because in that clean water, you know, once we start to see our schools, if a, one fish catches on, it could spook up the whole school. So you, you really want to be able to approach those fish and know how to disguise your bait to make it look like it's, it's real um, without alerting all the other fish that are swimming with them. You're spinning setups, 2,500, 3,000. What do you like there? Yeah, I like to throw a 3,000. I fish tsunamis. I fish the shields. Um, they're great. They're completely sealed. No salt water can get in them. Um, they're perfect for an everyday fisherman. Spooled know, with braid. Spooled with braid. Um, spider wire, 15 pound. Um, and then I have a few that have 20 pound on them too. For just those summer months, you know, when we're seeing those really big redfish in the flats, you know, hitting a top water plug, I, I beef it up a little bit. Um, on the fly side, same question, I guess, about gear. Like, what weight rod and floating line? Like, walk me through your decision, what your favorite setup is. Yeah, so I throw a TFO, um, the professional, and um, uh, it's an eight weight, and it's paired with the Reddington um, eight weight reel. Um, and I'm using floating summertime redfish line. Um, and that's, that's pretty much my setup. Our leaders, um, like 20 pound is, is good. Um, you can even bring it down a little bit too. Um, but summertime when, when we're fishing flood tides, I, I have a little beefier leader on there just because that flies coming through Spartina grass. Once you hook up with the fish that, that line is going to drag across Spartina grass. So, um, I use a little bit heavier leader when we're flood tide fishing. Favorite all-purpose fly? Uh, the Clouser, the Clouser minnow. Um, it's just, it's always effective. It's always, um, it's always something I have in my box. Uh, fish will eat it. Um, it's been around for a while. It's got a great reputation, and uh, it's one of the most known flies, the Clouser minnow. Favorite all-purpose topwater? The Rapala Skitter Walk, hands down. Why? I'll go, uh, but there's there's a few colors that I like, depending on the water color. You know, if I'm fishing darker water, that gold mullet is the deal. You know, clean water, I like to use that, that hot pink. Um, and then my all-time favorite's the red and white. The red so and red with my body. Aside from the color options, what else do you like about the Skitter Walk? It's loud. It's got a great noise to it. It's not a dull noise. It's kind of sharp. Um, it's, it's, um, it's just, it's, it's the perfect, I, the more and more you throw top water plugs, you can hear the difference of different brands. And that pitch to me is just something that just works. I don't know if it's just because I just caught so many fish on them or what it is, but that, that ticking noise is, is the deal for me. All right. So in our pre-show notes, and I wasn't sure, you know, I was thinking of working it into our, our talk and searching and stalking. Wasn't quite sure to happen to how to transition it in, but I'm intrigued by the topic. I know you got some thoughts on it. Talk to me, talk to my audience now about the difference between sort of stalking, searching on single redfish versus schools of redfish. Like wh how does that change your game? It completely changes the game here. Um, when you're fishing schools, uh, a lot of them, you know, will be in shallower water. Well, I find a lot of my schools in shallow water. 
Um, and then you got to think about it. If you're pulling up or trolling up on a school of fish and there's 50 fish in that school, that's a hundred little eyeballs looking at you. That's a, that's a hundred different or 50 different fish. They're feeling that boat slide in there, hearing that one click on an oyster. You know, it's, it, there's a lot that plays into fishing a school and being able to catch fish out of a school. Um, so what I like to do, I mean, if I have anywhere to hide the boat, if I can slide into a Creek and I know that they're going to be in this bay and they're going to be on the outside of this bay and I can hide my boat in there without them feeling me or seeing me. Um, then I like to do that. If there's a sandbar that I could park the boat on and kind of fish over the sandbar and catch those fish, then that's something that we'll do. Um, and then single fish wise, you know, you can get pretty close to a redfish as long as you're being quiet. As long as you have a steady speed going in there, if you're working a trolling motor, steady speed. If you're on a pulling platform, moving slow, um, you, you get that shot at that fish and he's just gonna be sitting there as long as you're quiet. Um, once you uh, start to make a little bit of noise, that, those fish will spook up. And anybody that's been on a school of redfish will tell you any noise can set those fish off and then they're up and moving and you know you're, you're you you can let them sit for a while and see if they'll eat or they may just be shut down for the rest of the day it's depend it just depends on how much pressure is actually on them for people who are thinking they might want to go fishing with you um ethan you fishing for redfish 12 months a year i am uh, we're approaching my favorite time of fishing here in southeastern north carolina I love clean water. Our water gets tropical clean here. Um, and there's just big schools of fish. And uh, I love seeing my belly crawlers and my tailors in the grass during the summer months. But there's something about sitting on, you know, 20 to 200 fish, you know, and just knowing that they're right here, you can see them. They're doing laps around a sandbar and, you know, you just set your bait there until they come by and bounce it. Boom, there they are. Um, and there's something about that that really gets me going, man. So right now, late fall through the winter or right now into the winter? All the way until like March, April. Um, until that, uh, you know, our temperatures are dropping here. We have a big cold front coming in this next week. Um, and then from there, I'm expecting to start to see some, some good schools. Um, and then we'll fish all the way until March and April uh, on those schools. And, you know, they usually just... They, they'll huddle up together. They'll try to feed together. Um, and uh, that's some fun fishing, man. If, I tell all of my clients and all my guests that step on that boat, come back and see me in the winter. And uh, I show them videos of previous years. And, you know, I, I still stay pretty steady through the winter because people like to see that fish and watch that fish eat and see big schools of them. You know, that's cool stuff that we're, we, we have here in southeastern North Carolina. When you're charter fishing, you're doing anything but red drum. Yeah, I like to target speckled trout too. Um, it's kind of been slow. It's been so mild, but I do turn my attention about uh, like this time of the year. And I'll focus on catching big trout. I love catching big trout on top water. Um, that, that's another thing that I just love. And in that transition period, when you're coming out of your summer cycles with redfish into the fall to the winter, um, that's usually when I start to see those trout, those trout in that transition period. And 
you know, when the drum fishing is kind of just all over the place, we're jumping from spot to spot to just find a few fish here and there. Um, those big trout make it worth it, man. I, I really enjoy that. Well, Ethan, I enjoyed talking to you, man. I enjoyed talking to you about redfish. Your passion for shallow water redfish is easy to pick up on immediately. And I appreciate everything you shared with our audience, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, again, great time. I can time. talk redfishing all day. I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> I can't. So, I'm, again, I'm going to say thank you, and we'll have you back on again for sure, but we appreciate your time today. Cool. Thanks, Gary. I appreciate it. Yeah, Ethan. Billy. What's up, man? What, a, what an episode. I love it. That's right up your alley, so you there. shouldn't have to struggle at all for Billy's best takeaway. I mean, I think the whole theme of the podcast was... No, be, be you don't get to answer that. No, way. it is. It's still. That's what it is. Because I'm suck at that. I'm, you do? Yeah. No, I'm like I'm the guy that's getting the drink out of the cooler every closing five. Closing the hatch. <laughs> closing the hatch, banging it around. Oops. Slapping my fly rod in the water. Oops. Was that bad? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Captain. I don't understand why we're not catching fish. <laughs> it doesn't matter what I do on the boat. Oh man. Yeah. So anyway, that was probably. I mean, there's plenty of takeaways. Plenty. I knew. He, I knew he was gonna say clouds or minnow. I almost answered it for him. Number one, number one, saltwater fly. Love it. I like Love the notion too. that fifty red drum mean what? A hundred eyeballs. A hundred eyeballs. So think about that. Yeah. I, that will cross my mind next time. Yeah, next time we see a school of fifty go, drum. That's fifty drum. No, it's a hundred eyeballs. It's a hundred eyeballs, and I hope to poke one. And don't get a drink. <laughs> Nobody move. <laughs> Nobody move until I get a fish on that hook. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Anyway. Man, thanks for a great show, Billy. Yeah, man. Green Warehouse Center, we really appreciate you guys once again for sponsoring the show. And if you guys have not, be sure to go to our YouTube channel and subscribe and, and be a part of that. And subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Please and do. Let us know how we're doing. Please do. We, we read the comments. We definitely pay attention. Yeah. My favorite ones are like, Gary, thanks so much. Gary, you're great. Gary, you're great. Gary and the other guy, good uh, job. Other guy. <laughs> you, you guys are welcome. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> anyway, man, good show, Gary. You too, Billy. Thanks. See you, man.